Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. It's a bonus edition of the Pigskin Daily History Dispatch as we have our Football by Numbers series. And today we go with the guys that wore the double threes on the front of their jerseys. Yes, the number 33s with Josie Emba helping us out. Coming up next, this is the Pigskin Daily History Dispatch, a podcast that covers the anniversaries of American football events throughout history on a day-to-day basis. This is your host, Darren Hayes, and we're podcasting from America's North Shore to bring you the memories of the gridiron one day at a time. So with Mike and Gene Monroe, as well as Jason Neff supplying us with the tunes. Let's go no huddle through today's football history headlines. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hello, my football friends. This is Darren Hayes of PigskinDispatch.com, and welcome to another special edition of the Football by Numbers. And tonight, we are going to discuss the great number 33 jersey number of the NFL's 101 years of existence. And joining me tonight for this big challenge is our friend, author, podcast host of When Football Was Football, Joe Ziemba. Welcome to the Pigpen. Well, thank you again, Darren. You gave us quite a bit of responsibility tonight. The number 33 has a ton of excellent players throughout the years, and we've got them going all the way back to the start of the NFL till today. But I did have one little note about a number 33 from a guy you may or may not have heard of named Mel Triplett. And he wore that number back uh, way back in the 50s for the New York Giants. And the reason I bring him up, with a name a like nice Triplet, that's a pretty appropriate name for the wearing double threes. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> you are sharp today. <laughs> hey, Mel, Mel only gained about uh, 3,000 yards, a little less during his career. But I, when I was researching Mel Triplet, a fullback, 6'1", 215 pounds, he won one, uh, one NFL championship. But his number 33, and it's ironic that we're talking about number 33 tonight, has some significance. He had a young fan, a young man who grew to great heights named Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And Mel Triplett was such a hero to Kareem that Kareem decided he was going to wear number 33 throughout his professional career. So different sport but number 33. So I thought we'd start out with that. Don't know if Mel's going to make our top 10 list or not, but his influence on the number 33 is quite significant. Yeah. One of the NBA and uh, college basketball's greats, you know, the, that's quite an honor to have your number wore by somebody like that. So he yeah, must've Kareem been good. Had, uh, yeah. I guess the uh, cream mentioned him in one of his uh, autobiographies and that's that story has come down to us t- till today. Wow, you you know how to dig them out. You find those stories. <laughs> but uh, well, look, as we always start off, we always say what the Hall of Fame, Pro Football Hall of Fame, has told us, and they tell us that there's six individuals that wore the number 33. I'm not so sure if I agree with one of them, and I guess let's bring him up first. They're saying O.J. Simpson wore number 33, but I could not find anywhere 
where OJ in the pro ranks were nothing but the 32. And I don't know if you found anything on him. I did not. I, I did take a look and I could not find it. Of course, I think we had someone the last time we were, I think, talking about number 31s or something. We couldn't find out where that person wore that number either. So, yeah, so maybe they just have a, a typo going into the, the computer over there in Canton. Who knows? That but could be. The, but the other five gentlemen are definitely, I, I found spots where they each were the number 33. And those five names, and we'll go into a little bit more detail here in a second, but uh, Tony Dorsett, Sammy Baugh, Ollie Matson, Mike Mahalski, and Ray Nitschke all wore the number 33 during their careers. And some great players there. I think we talked about Mike Mahalski before and put him on our top 10 list for one of the other numbers. Yeah, I, so I think I'm, he's... He's had about 11 different numbers, I think, he's come up on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he's had a plethora of them. And that is funny because some of the early players from the 20s, you, you a lot of times have difficulty even finding one number. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, but he had to be a good player because, uh, you know, just that jersey change alone doesn't get you into Pro Football Hall of Fame. It's some good play that does. So That's true. That's true. And he was a great player for many years, I believe, for the uh, Packers. He was also on the New York Yankees in the uh, early days of that franchise when it broke off from the Red Grange League and entered the NFL in 1927. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at it right now. He played 10 total seasons of uh, pro football, and he had seven different numbers. <laughs> and uh, That's our dilemma tonight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right. <laughs> Well, uh, where, where do you want to start off at? I thought we'd start out with a, one of the Hall of Famers who may have only wore the number one year, but I still would not discount him. In fact, I'm going to talk about a couple of players who have unusual names and, and see if you agree that they should be on our list tonight. I'm going to start with Nick Petrosanti and then talk with about Ray Nitschke. Uh, Petrosani, of course, played with the Lions uh, last two years of his career. He played with Cleveland, but uh, quite a nice rusher when he retired from the Lions. He held, I believe, the single season rushing mark as well as a career rushing uh, leader for the Lions. Led the team, I think, in 1960 with 872 yards in one season, which lasted until 1971. So his career best, uh, his career ended uh, about 1967, and he is still at the top of the list uh, with the with the Detroit Lions for all time. Known as a blocking back, came out of Notre Dame, good for short yardage, but he was also a decent receiver as well. So Nick Petrosani, uh, he had a, a, a good knack, I guess, for being in the right place at the right time for the Lions. And as I mentioned, when he did retire, or even up until the late 80s, still in the top five in most rushing categories for the Lions. Uh, passed away at an early age at the urge of, age of 50. Um, of course, people affiliated with the Lions were quite sad to, to learn of his passing, but uh, Russ Thomas, the Lions general manager at the time, said, I remember when we drafted him, he was a tough, intelligent guy who not only was great in short yardage situations, but he could catch the ball, too. He was well-liked, and he fit in quickly with us. Uh, but Nick Fetrosanti gone too soon. He did uh, have a total yardage of well, a little over 4,000 yards in his career, which is, which is pretty good. So he might be one that we can look at as a, a possibility for our list of top ten. Not in the Hall of Fame, 
but certainly one of the best in Detroit Lions history. Yeah, I'm looking at it. His yards per carry, 4.2 yards per carry, 28 touchdowns in his career, uh, made two Pro Bowls during his career. So that's some pretty good numbers. It was, yeah. In fact, his rookie year, he had an average of uh, 5.9 per carry. Didn't see that much uh, action, 76 carries, but quite effective at the time. Yeah, uh, really uh, breaking through his, uh, his teeth a little bit here as he got into the league. So exactly. the coaches, uh, you know, take notice of him. Mm-hmm. That's probably got more carries as he went along. So I think uh, I definitely I'm going to put a mark by him. I think maybe he's one we'll come back to and uh, discuss here. Great. Well, I wanted to talk about the unique, exciting, lovable, maybe Ray <laughs> Nitschke. <laughs> Fans in Chicago do not like Nitschke. Okay, here's an easy trivia question for you, Darren. There's two people I know in life. One was fictional named Rocky Balboa. There was one other person who nicknamed their dog Butkus. Of course, I gave you a strong hit. Who do you think the second person besides Rocky Balboa would name his dog Butkus? (laughs) Oh, boy. Uh, uh, Ray Nitschke? (laughs) <laughs> well, how did you know? That is wonderful. I really had to go on a limb for that one. <laughs> Ray Nitschke named his dog after his nemesis on the field, Dick Butkus from the <laughs> Chicago Bears. And uh, Ray, besides being a Hall of Famer, two-time Super Bowl winner, uh, won five times NFL champ, 11 times first-team All-Pro, he is also a little bit of an actor. He appeared in a movie called Head which was by the Monkees, the old 60s group that was put together for television. And it's an uncredited role, but Nitschke apparently tackles different members of the Monkees throughout the movie. I haven't seen the movie yet, Darren, I apologize. (laughs) But uh, his acting career (laughs) stalled a little bit. But this is a tough guy. Like Butkus, he played at the University of Illinois, and he didn't want to wear, in his own words, back then in the 50s, one of those sissy helmets in a game against Ohio state, he got four teeth knocked out. Of course, after the game, he was looking around. He had refused to wear a face mask and uh, he was looking in the grass. Someone says, what are you looking for? He said, I'm looking for my teeth. He says, well, why are you looking for your teeth? Mitch, he said, cause they belong to me. So I like that <laughs> for an answer. But he also was uh, considered a rather tough guy, maybe mean. In fact, he was offended when he was described as a dirty player or a mean player. And it kind of reminded me a little bit of Chuck Norris, our now aging superstar fighter. When we hear jokes about Chuck Norris, the people say, yeah, when the boogeyman goes to bed, he searches under his bed for Chuck Norris. That kind of thing. Sad but true. But there was a bunch of sayings in the late 60s about Ray Nitschke. And um, one of the questions was, how come Ray Nitschke doesn't get cold playing in 13 below weather with the Packers? The answer, because his straight jacket is fur lined. Uh, I didn't get it either. Ray Nitschke's contract called for the guy to wipe the foam off his mouth between plays. Uh, and his position for the Packers was not linebacker, but middle maniac for Green Bay. So, Darren, I apologize for those scornful, terrible jokes, but that's what was said about Ray Nitschke way back when. But again, his record speaks for himself. Uh, Hall of Famer, 
deserves it, even though he played number 30 one year. My recommendation is we include Ray on our top 10 list. Well, I think that's a very compelling case you have there. And I think he is going to take our first slot on our uh, top 10 list of number 33s because that's that's pretty good uh, stories. Uh, He's a great player. And I mean, just look at his resume of uh, all the Hall of Fames and MVPs and, you know, everything he's done, all pros. Uh, and when you have uh, you're, you have, are brave enough to name your dog after a very fierce linebacker that you play against a couple of <laughs> times a year. At the, I wonder how a Buckus uh, reacted to that. I wonder. Yeah, that would but, be good to find out. <laughs> there's got to be some newspaper quotes on that from him somewhere. Yeah, yeah. You'd think. <laughs> well, uh, where do we want to go next? Which direction? Hey, your choice. There's so many names we could talk about, and I will be happy to put your listeners to sleep with more of my ramblings about these guys. But I find it exciting to dig into their their deep past and uh, find something unusual about them. And there's plenty on this list we can talk about. All right. Well, why don't we uh, stay with our Hall of Famers since we talked about Nitschke? How about, uh, you know, alphabetically, uh, I think uh, Sammy Baugh is up up first, and I'm sure you have some good stories about Sammy Baugh. Yeah, Sammy was a great personality. He liked to sprinkle his language with uh, words we normally wouldn't use in public. Of course, this goes way back to the 30s and 40s. So uh, another guy was just incredible. Um, Claims he was a little bit shy, loved to stay in his ranch down in Texas. But he was not only the first, I shouldn't say the first, but maybe I will say the first really extraordinary passer in the league but still holds the punting record. Now, 70 years later, uh, his average uh, for the year, and I think was 51.4. And I, I don't think that has been exceeded yet. So an incredible punter as well as a quarterback. Wow. That is pretty good. I, I'm going to have to do some digging on that. Cause that's, that's impressive to have it still have the punting record. And you would almost think that the uh, ball wasn't as friendly to punt back then. It was, so it was a little yeah. bit uh, more girth to it than it is now. So hmm, interesting. since they, they punted so many more times, it seems like per game, because the ball was mostly until he came around, uh, a lot of rushing, a lot of passing the ball back, or excuse me, punting the ball back. But you know, I was looking at uh, what he led the league in so many different categories, passing attempts, passing yards, TDs, passer rating, yards per game, attempts per game, yards per pass attempt, et cetera, et cetera. So this guy was fabulous uh, for his day. Yeah, Washington Redskins, his entire career, and that's and that's a long career there too. What is it? Uh, 1937 to 1952. That's yeah. uh, very impressive. And his nickname, of course, was Sling and Sammy which I assume because he passed so much and set records, but no, he was also a baseball player and he got that nickname because he would fire rockets from third base or shortstop. And the first baseman of one of his teams called him slinging Sammy, (laughs) but he had a little bit of a sense of humor. Uh, He was unfortunately on the short end of that infamous 73 to nothing win to the bears over the Redskins in 1940 in a line I know you've probably heard before, but others may not. Early in the game when the Bears maybe had a 7 or nothing lead, he threw a perfect pass for a touchdown that would have tied the game, but his receiver dropped it. So after the game, after the 73-1 to shellacking, a reporter asked Sammy Baugh, do you think it would have been different if he had caught that touchdown pass? And Sammy had this thick draw and said, 
Yeah, it would have been 73 to 7. I've always liked that quote. <laughs> you know, he's got some great, impressive numbers. I mean, in 1947, he had had 354 passing attempts in 12 games. I mean, think about that. that's almost 30 passes a game in 1947, just after World War II, when passing wasn't really as prevalent as it is today. You know, that's Absolutely. a big number. Yeah. And his, his completion percentage, I mean, one year he was at 70%. And, and I thought, whoa, because yeah. mostly you see is someone hurled that pigskin five, 15 times and completed five of them. You'll see a story in the 1940s. Here he is flying away 30 times a game, hitting 70% of his passes. Of course, he had some good receivers there uh, as well, but um, you know, just uh, a great, great passer. Hey, did you know he was also an actor? No, this I didn't. is going to go way back. And one time he starred with a guy named Duncan Ronaldo in a short-lived series, I guess. And you might say, who the heck is Duncan Ronaldo? Well, those older than me may recall he played the Cisco kid on television for many, many years with Cisco and his sidekick, Poncho. So Sammy Baugh, in his brief acting career, was co-starring with Duncan Ronaldo. Well, you're bringing up all the old uh, television shows and having, uh, you know, yeah. like that uh, connection with the football players tonight. You have the the monkeys, uh, uh, the Cisco kid. Wow. I'm excited to see where we're going to go from here. Uh, that's frightening, <laughs> but you never know what you'll find here on the Sports History Network. <laughs> that's for sure. Well, I think Sammy Baugh, uh, I think he's another one that he, he gets my, my vote to be on the list right now. I don't know about you. Yes, Absolutely. Okay, so that's two of our 10 spots that we have. Now, I guess uh, now there's a, well, I know one of your favorites, but I want to save him for a little bit. But when we go a little bit more contemporary, how about Tony Dorsett of the Dallas Cowboys? Tony is a great, great player out of the University of Pittsburgh. He broke most of Marshall Goldberg's rushing records, five-time All-Pro, Hall of Famer, of course, rushed for almost 13,000 yards, and just a, a uh, unless injury got him at the end there, I believe he, he probably could have gone another couple, three, four, five years. Uh, he had to retire early in 1988. He went, was, um, went from Dallas to Denver for that final year. Um, and unfortunately it looked like he had some injury problems at the time, but man, what a career, just a difficult guy. And just year after year, over a thousand yards, uh, rushing accumulated by, by Tony Dorsett. And including a long run of 99 yards in 1982. But again, five times all pro and well deserving of his Hall of Fame induction. Yeah, you know, living in Western Pennsylvania, because he's a Western Pennsylvania guy. I mean, he grew up, I believe, in uh, Beaver Falls, uh, Pennsylvania, right outside of Pittsburgh. And, you know, played for Pitt. And he was just, you know, everybody loved Tony Dorsett. And the Dallas Cowboys is where he went to. And that, that's not the favorite team in the 1970s around the uh, Western Pennsylvania. If you're a <laughs> yes. Pittsburgh Steelers fan, they're right up there with the, like the Raiders, uh, the Cowboys and the, the Browns, I think were our uh, arch, all our arch rivals of the seventies. So it was, it was sort of a love hate relationship when Tony Dorsett would, uh, would be playing on television, especially yeah. in a couple of Super Bowls that uh, he played in. So, but very interesting uh, guy, uh, you know, great college career, excellent pro career, uh, just a great all around uh, running back. And uh, I think he's another one that probably deserves to go on our list early here. 
I would agree. And he's uh, one of the Heisman Trophy winners that made good in the National Football League. And he just had a celebrated a birthday on April 7th. Uh, we had a little piece on him on uh, Pigskin Dispatch. So huh. as we, we celebrate all the birthdays of the Hall of Famers. And he was April 7th. So hmm. happy birthday if you're listening, Tony Dorsett. Okay. Uh, well, I can't hold you off any longer. We got we to gotta get to your man here. <laughs> Because uh, you, you've talked a lot about him lately because he's come up in the news quite a bit here uh, for the anniversaries of some great events. And uh, how about Ollie Matson? Yeah, Ollie is, is one of my favorites. Uh, Chicago Cardinal and uh, Hall of Famer. And just to give a, a little brief background of him, he was a superb rusher, led the nation at the University of San Francisco, which not, doesn't even have football anymore, as far as I know. Um, but they dropped the sport uh, after he graduated. He probably should have won the Heisman Trophy for some reason didn't. Um, but his goal immediately after school was to make the Olympic team, which he did. He won a silver medal and a bronze medal in the 1952 Olympic Games. Flew back immediately. He was, had been drafted by the Chicago Cardinals, joined the team at their training camp played in the college all-star game with the college all-stars and then joined the Cardinals where he was named rookie of the year, despite playing the last five games with a broken wrist. He was deadly in, in three or four different ways, rushing, receiving, excellent defender as well. And uh, all pro every time, every year he was with the Cardinals until 1959 when he had the infamous trade where Ali Matson was traded to the Rams for nine different players and it was a trade engineered by the new general manager, Pete Roselle of the Rams. <laughs> and, and I might do a little self-plug here, but if you would care to listen to our podcast called When Football Was Football, this week we are covering Ali Matson, talking a little more in-depth about that trade and how perhaps it was not the best thing to ever happen to him. And you think, wow, nine guys for me, this is going to be great, but the team he was traded to was a little bit of disarray when he arrived. He did make all pro one more year, but never put the numbers up that he did with the Cardinals. So uh, truly deserving of the Hall of Fame. When he did retire, finally, in the mid-60s, he was second time, second all-time in the NFL in all-purpose yards behind the great Jim Brown. So uh, he left us with that. Well, you know, I was uh... – Sitting there looking at his 1959 season uh, with the Rams, that first year with the Rams, he actually he had his second best uh, total yards rushing. Uh, he had 924 with the Cardinals in 56, 863 with the Rams, and then just sort of everything fell apart there. He never made it over 200 for the next uh, four years uh, in, a car, in a Rams uniform. Uh, did do that with uh, Philadelphia near the end of his career. Uh, in 1964, had uh, uh, just over 400 yards. But yeah, yeah, he, yeah, he had a long career for a running back, especially back then, where you know they really their bodies took a beating, and uh, especially playing on a, a poor blocking team like the Rams at that time, I'm sure it <laughs> yes. had to wear you down a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so, he, he played a lot of receiver as well, so he was on the field for quite a few plays back there, besides going both ways. So. He was just one of those guys who wanted to be on the field, but I'm, I'm sure it took its toll. And in fact, as we talk about in my podcast, he eventually developed dementia and uh, uh, 
could be traced to some of the concussions he had during his playing career. And again, things were different medically as well that we know now after a severe concussion in Philadelphia, I believe, on a road trip, he went to the hospital and they looked at him, kept him overnight, put him right back on the plane and went back to Chicago and played. And it's just some some of those stories that we hear. And there's, a, I think, another player we're going to talk, maybe talk about uh, from the Bears who had a similar situation later uh, in life. But thank goodness now uh, we're looking better. We're looking at the players, giving them better medical treatment nowadays and improving the equipment as well. Yeah, that's that's too bad to hear about some of these old players like uh, Ollie that uh, suffered some uh, lingering effects of his playing days. That's uh, mm-hmm. glad that they're taking care of it, like you said. Yeah. But uh, I definitely think he's another one. I don't think you'll have any uh, argument with me if I say I want to put put him on our one of our top ten. We like that. Yep, good selection. Okay. All right, that's our fourth player we put on our top ten greatest number thirty threes. Uh, well, there's only uh, we talked a little bit about Mahalski. Um, I'm, I'm, I don't know. Maybe we ought to wait to to have see if we put him on or not. Or yeah, I thought maybe we'd wait because there's so many good names on here. Not that he doesn't deserve it, but he's had so many numbers. Can you believe that we're going to restrict a guy because he had too many numbers? You're asking. <laughs> well, and uh, I still think I got to talk about him one more time. I think he comes up with the 36s. That's his last number in the series. Oh, okay, so he'll come up again. <laughs> But okay, uh, we have quite a bit of uh, great running backs that uh, were the number thirty-three. That's pretty dominant on them. And uh, you know, I'd like to you know talk about a guy named Roger Craig, who uh, yeah. many of our listeners probably remember with the San Francisco 49ers in the Joe Montana era. Uh, I don't know if you have anything you'd like to say about uh, Roger. Yeah, he was the uh, actually one of the first um, to have one thousand yards rushing and one thousand receiving in the same year. Uh, That's right. That was nineteen eighty-five. So that right there is one of those um, benchmarks that you look for and say, "Ooh, who was the first to do that?" It was Roger Craig, a four-time Pro Bowler, and probably more importantly, was on the winning edge of three Super Bowls that he won. And yeah, a big part of that too, because he was. Part of you know Walsh's offense, you know, not only the short passing game, but you know throwing those short passes a lot of times to the backs, or you know popping off a run here and there just to keep the defense honest. But uh, you know he he was perfect for that offense, the West Coast offense. And the he was a, a workhorse as well in that '85 season, 214 rushes, and then he also caught 92 passes. <laughs> Both are extraordinary. So. <laughs> He got quite the workout that that year, and of course throughout his year, where he was doing both uh, for a very talented team. Yeah, it's, I mean, one third of all of his touches, almost continually every year, were, were pass receptions for a running back. That's that's real strong. And uh, yeah, uh, let's see, he was uh, four time Pro Bowler, All Pro once. Uh, you know, like you said, three time Super Bowl champ. He made the all 1980s team in the 1988 AP Offensive Player of the Year. So yeah. Hmm. That's another another big uh, medallion to hang in the old trophy case there. Yeah, and that was the year he rushed for over 1,500 yards. So a uh, pretty incredible year. Yeah, I, uh, I'll, I'll tell you what. Now he That's some pretty strong numbers. Um, I don't know if we want to put him under consideration or we want to give him the bid because I think he's probably going to make it. I think we should put him in and 
Yeah, I think so too. Great, great numbers. Yeah, definitely. Uh, do we do you want to talk about uh, another running back, or we got some we got some defensive backs too? We can yeah. talk about. There's quite a few running backs that we have on our list, and um, let me give you one that may not be on our final ten, but again, one whose name became quite famous after he played, and that's Jim Grabowski, another one from the University of Illinois, and he played in Green Bay where he was one half of the Glitter Twins with uh, Donnie Anderson. But it was later on when the Bears were playing in the 80s that Coach Mike Ditka said the team needs more Grabowskis. (laughs) Uh, Thinking of a really uh, blue-collar, hard-nosed guy that's uh, not afraid to block. So, now, Jim didn't have great career numbers. The most he ever rushed for was 518, but he was a winner. Uh, won two Super Bowls with the Packers. And uh, Ditka seemed to like his, his playing career as well. So, uh, again, I don't know if he'd be in the top 10 of uh, number 33s, but he probably wore that number. And um, just wanted to mention that in his brief career, which lasted about six years, including one with the Bears, he was just always out there, always ready to go. So uh, a good player, maybe not a superstar, Jim Grabowski. Well, well, thank you for bringing that up. Like you said, that's uh, when you get some somebody famous, you know, that's a coach, eventually a coach, uh, you know, that's talking that, that uh, well of you, you've got to give some instant credibility on the football field. And uh, he definitely did. So, yeah, thanks for sharing that one. Sure. Uh, how about uh, – you know, another running back sort of a little bit more modern is that uh, Kevin Falk, you know, Kevin Falk had a real nice long career. Uh, I always remember him as a Patriot and he was a Patriot of his entire career. It looks like. Yeah. Yeah. 1999 to 2011. So and he, he wore was, that number 33 every single year and, and he was only five foot eight, uh, 202 pounds, but won three Super Bowls. But uh, for our purposes, he wore number 33 his entire career. Yeah, yes, he did. And, uh, you know, he doesn't have a whole lot of things, just that the three Super Bowl championships doesn't have all pros, doesn't have any pro bowls, which I found surprising. I thought maybe he would be a a pro bowl or at least on special teams or or something, you know, you would think. But uh, because he was always pretty solid back and always very productive. But, um, hey, I guess when you have that many stars on – a team like the Patriots for most of his career, you sort of sit back in the shadows a little bit. Yes. Okay. Uh, yeah. I'm not sure that he'll, he'll make the list on there, but I just want to make sure another one we mentioned that uh, he's a good player. Um, but how, how about a defensive back? And this is near and dear to your city of Chicago. How about peanut Tillman? Yeah. Peanut Tillman of the Chicago bears. Had an extraordinary um, statistic one year, which I, I believe was close to a record, at least led the league, and that he had his takeaways, uh, something like 41, 44 takeaways one season. Uh, he had this uh, incredible ability of snatching the ball away or knocking the ball out of a receiver's hands. Um there was, uh, excuse me, 44 career force fumbles that he had, including 10 in 2012, uh, which led the league. So force fumbles, uh, a great defender, all pro in 2012. Certainly a mainstay of the Chicago Bears defensive backfield while he played. But how about a little bit by injuries? 
but extremely uh, well known for his off the field charitable works as well his uh, kind of distinctive defensive work on the field where he could sneak up and force a takeaway from the ball carrier. Yeah, uh, just looking at his numbers, you know, eight touchdowns off of 38 interceptions. You know, that that's really good. That's like one out of every six picks he, he's taken to the house. So he was that's quite right. the ball hawk and knew what to yeah, do with the ball when he years, got in his hands. A couple of those years, he led the league in return touchdowns. I mean, it wasn't a lot, but two and three, but still, he led the league. Yeah. One time returned an interception for 95 yards. So he was an exciting player to watch. And, you know, we might, might consider him for our top 10 list. I, I think so. Yeah. We'll, we'll put a mark by him because he's definitely one I think we'll be talking about again here uh, real soon. Um, how about we go right down the list here? How about Ronnie Harmon? You know, another great uh, running back uh, slash wide receiver type, you know, so very similar to a, like a Falk. Um, he played uh, 1960, I'm sorry, 1986 to 1997, uh, started off with the Buffalo Bills for four seasons, uh, went to San Diego for another half dozen seasons and played with the, the Houston Oilers, Tennessee Oilers, Titans uh, organization for a couple years and a final year in Chicago in the Windy City. Everything right. always goes back to Chicago when we have you on. Yeah, yes, the epicenter. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he, you know, he had more yards receiving. He had over 6,000 yards career receptions uh, to just over 2,700 yards rushing in his career and had, uh, you know, a total of 34 touchdowns, 10 rushing and 24 off the catching the passes. Uh, made the Pro Bowl one year. Not sure that he's going to make the list, but uh, definitely worth somebody to talk about here. Yeah. And we have Jabari Greer who played for Buffalo and New Orleans, won a Super Bowl, I believe, with New Orleans, 13 career interceptions, came out of Tennessee. And again, another steady back, uh, was usually a starter, especially later in his career, and had a, um, a knack for, uh, for tackles and for interceptions when he was out there for those teams. Again, might not make our top 10 list, but with the Super Bowl championship, I always like to look at those guys a little bit closer. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah, another great name. Um, how about uh, Reggie Rucker? I don't think we've talked about him yet. You know, great, great wide receiver, and uh, he, you know, he had a real strong career. Uh, came off with the Dallas Cowboys, uh, you know, New England Patriots, Cleveland Browns uh, for seven seasons. That's where I remember him mostly from. Uh, had 44 touchdowns in that span of uh, from 1970 through 1981, um, which is pretty good, decent numbers. Uh, 444, 447 receptions, and won a Super Bowl. And a Super Bowl must have been with uh, I'm not sure who he won a Super Bowl with. Maybe <laughs> maybe Dallas that first year. Yeah, and what's amazing about Reggie Rucker, he was undrafted. You know, we talk about guys who've been drafted later on since the draft started in 1936, but undrafted and went on to have a fabulous career. Where would you like to go next? And what, what player? Let me talk a little bit about Billy Ray Barnes. Okay. Billy Ray Barnes uh, was the first back in the uh, Atlantic coast conference to rush for a thousand yards. And he ended up being a three times all pro and, in 1960, led the Eagles to the championship, one of those Pennsylvania teams. 
he had an interesting look on life and talking about today's players versus when he played. And for one thing, he said he wasn't all that excited about being drafted. He said, uh, I wasn't that thrilled because the NFL wasn't that big a deal in 1957, he said. <laughs> Football was very hard work. They made a scrimmage all the time. But he said, I'm delighted I signed and played. I had an enjoyable career. And through football, made friends I'll treasure all my life. But he had uh, some good seasons with the Eagles. And one thing that I found interesting about him was his comparison to training techniques. So if you picture a player in the NFL in the late 50s compared to today, he said, today's players stay in shape year-round. We went to training camp to get in shape, and a lot of us smoked. Visitors to our locker room after a game would have thought they'd come into a pool room. There was so much smoke. Of course, the money is so much greater in the modern era. He was talking about 1960. He said, we got $5,126 for winning the championship in 60. Well, it doesn't seem like much, but then again, gasoline was only about 20 cents a gallon back then. So that's what uh, Billy Ray Barnes thought about when comparing his era to the modern era. And he hung around for a while and uh, rushed over 3,000 yards. Also uh, had over 1,700 yards in receptions. Probably not going to be on our top 10 list, but uh, he was a three-time pro bowler and one-time championship winner with the Eagles way back when. <laughs> well, definitely sounds like uh, somebody you'd like to meet, you know, go have a cup of coffee with, you know, back yeah, when he was playing. Or something stronger. <laughs> or, or something stronger. I was trying to keep it family friendly <laughs> here. <laughs> but, you know, I was scrolling through and I, you know, I don't know much about this gentleman, but he has one of the greatest names I think I've ever heard. Cannonball Butler. <laughs> and ah. I just have to mention that just because the name is so great. And Cannonball Butler had a short career, you know, came in with the Pittsburgh Steelers in 1965 and uh, ended up playing with the uh, Falcons for uh, four years. And the with St. Louis Cardinals in 1972 was his final season. And he was uh, a running back, uh, didn't have a whole lot of yardage. Didn't have a whole lot of exposure. But your name's Cannonball Butler. I'm just—he had to be a, a pretty stout guy <laughs> at running the ball. Uh, let's see what he. Oh, he's five foot nine, 194 pounds. I guess he was built like a cannonball. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> Low center of gravity on him. That's for sure. But yeah, well, some great, great nicknames. Yeah, but while we're talking about Cannonball, let's mention Billy Cannon, who was a star in the old AFL back in the 1960s. Uh, playing for Houston and Oakland and Kansas City later. He led the AFL in rushing in 1961 with 948 yards, four times all pro. And he, he, ran, he was a quick guy. Uh, in college, he ran the 100-yard dash in 9.4. And besides being a sprinter, he was also a shot putter. He was about 6'1", 200 pounds. And one other coach said, He's either the strongest sprinter or the fast, fastest shot putter I've ever seen in my life. So <laughs> he was a legend back down in his, uh, in his home state. Uh, came out of Mississippi. You know, again, not a spectacular career, 2,455 yards in the 1960s. But he led the, uh, the AFL that second year in the league with 948 yards. So after we talked about Cannonball, I thought we should talk about Billy Cannon. A good segue into Billy Cannon. Ooh, Cannonball. Kind of scares you sometimes. 
Uh, let's see. Um, you know, what, I guess one of my favorite backs because uh, I loved him when he was a Steeler, but Merrill Hodge wore the number 33 while in Pittsburgh. He also wore it when he was with Chicago. Uh, you know, here's a, another one probably won't make our list, but a great, great, solid back, uh, great role model for, for kids, uh, great commentator after his playing days were over, oh, yeah. but, uh, you know, he only had uh, 3,100 yards rushing 21 touchdowns, but yeah, I can remember him having some really key runs, uh, in that Bubby Brister era at quarterback for the Steelers. And, uh, we were sad to see him go when he went to Chicago. And I think he only had like one season there and then, uh, had the concussions, uh, yeah, up on him. Did, I think it yeah. did him in. But you're right. He's a, a wonderful announcer as far as I'm concerned. And um, and was sorry that his career had to end. Oh, another guy with a, a similar numbers was Leroy Horde, if I'm pronouncing Horde right, out of Michigan, played for Cleveland for many years. So he was in the league for 10 years and compiled a little less than 4,000 yards total. His best year was 890 yards in 1994. But he was known as a guy who, when you got to down to the goal line, as his 36 touchdowns would attest throughout his career, he could get across the goal line. In fact, he told a coach one time, put me in. If we're at the one-yard line, I'll get you three yards. He also told the coach, if we're at the five-yard line, I'll get you three yards. So <laughs> painfully honest running back, known for his three-yard runs throughout his career. Yeah, he really captured his interest. He said from the one-yard line, he's going to get you three yards. <laughs> I was expecting maybe seven yards from the five. That's probably what coach was too, huh? He was comfortable with the real estate from three yards in. <laughs> like those three-yard gains. Uh, you know, there was a, another player who never was able to reach his potential. I'm not going to get into why, but it's Dwayne Thomas, who mm. uh, had a really scattered four-year career, came into the league with the Cowboys, won a Super Bowl. I believe he was the MVP of Super Bowl in 1971, uh, all-league player, first-round draft choice in 1970 for the Cardinals. An unusual player because he was traded because of some uh, difficulties to the Patriots where Pete Rozell was a commissioner voided the trade because the uh, Patriots were having some challenges as well. So I'm not going to speculate, but during his brief career, he led the NFL as rookie year with a 5.3 yard average, uh, led the league with 11 touchdowns the second year in Dallas and then made a couple of short lived other Teams that he was with, Washington being one of them, I believe, the only one. But uh, Dwayne Thomas uh, didn't kind of left football after that, tried with everything from the Hawaiian teams and the WFL, tried with the Packers, never was quite able to get on a roster again. Yeah, uh, that's, I mean, that's a shame when you have some of those players that have all that potential and just don't don't use it. And like you say, we won't get into details on it, but uh, so kind of self-destructive. Um well, I, I got to bring up another one of my Steelers, and this guy's got probably one of the most famous plays in football history, and that's uh, John Frenchie Fuqua, was, uh, you know, wore that number thirty-three with the Steelers. Um, like I said, he probably won't make our list. Another very similar to Hodge, you know, just had over uh, three thousand yards, twenty-one touchdowns. I think they both had the exact same amount of touchdowns, but he was the intended receiver. Uh, for the immaculate reception when um, mm. Bradshaw, you know, threw the pass. And uh, of course, I think it was Jack Tatum for the Raiders uh, 
was in coverage and, you know, the dispute goes on who touched the ball first. Was it Fuqua or was it Tatum? And, uh, you know, the legend goes on because back then it would have been, it made a difference uh, who touched it and made it go backwards to, uh, it, would, it would have had to touch Tatum before uh, Franco Harris caught it. So I want to make sure we mention Frenchy because he's always yeah. a, he's a good guy, always a good spirit. You still hear him on interviews and uh, he's still fun, loving and enjoyable to listen to. We did have a linebacker I think might make our list. Okay. And this is Larry Morris, who played with the Rams, but mostly with the Bears, finished up his career with Atlanta. But he's he's best known uh, for his defensive work in the 1963 championship when the Bears defeated the Giants 14-10. to He was actually MVP of that game, which is a little surprising for a defender to make that. But uh, his key play in that game was an interception of Y.E. Tittle uh, that he picked it off and he ran 61 yards back to the Giants' six when the Giants were threatening to blow the game open with a 7 to nothing lead early in the first quarter. Morris admitted, I was so tired I knew I was going to get caught, so I just went as far as I could. <laughs> so, But uh, his teammate, Johnny Morris, uh, who was a great receiver for the Bears, Talked about Larry Moore, said he had great speed for linebacker and was very effective against the pass and the run. So he was one that, uh, again, who suffered from the injuries of football and was linked to dementia late in life. Hmm. Uh, he lived to be 79, but apparently uh, his football injuries uh, con- contributed to his uh, brain disease. So unfortunately for Larry Morris, he was all pro in 63, MVP of the title game, as we mentioned, and uh, just a very solid player for many years, especially for the Chicago Bears, where he played in uh, well over 100 games, I believe. Yeah, uh, I, I definitely. I'm glad you mentioned him because I think you're right. He might be one of those ones that we might be talking about getting on the, the list here. Another one is a, a defensive back, uh, W.K. Hicks, William Kenzie Hicks. And he was a great uh, DB, played for the uh, Houston Oilers in the AFL 1964 and uh, right up into the when they joined the NFL. And then uh, three years with the New York Jets, uh, 70, 71, 72. And he had some great numbers, uh, 40 interceptions, uh, not, uh, you know, pass happy AFL, uh, 645 return yards off of those in 125 games. And 40 interceptions is uh, nothing to take lightly. That's, that's a pretty good uh, ball hawking career for a defensive back. I was going to enter another guy that uh, is Curly Johnson, another great nickname who played back in the 60s, uh, Dallas Texans, the New York Titans, the New York Jets. Uh, he also did some punting. He was two-time All-Pro in the AFL. Again, not spectacular numbers, but uh, the one who could uh, be relied upon for his punting and kicking, uh, he was one that the uh, teams at that time looked to. So he was also a Super Bowl champ. And um, as I mentioned, two times all pro way back when. Don't know if he'll make our, our top 10 list, but we had to get a kicker in there somehow. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, okay. Uh, do you have anybody else you want to mention before we go into our deliberations? I mean, yeah, I think we're about ready. Uh, I, I did find Willie Ellison, who was a running back for the Rams uh, through his career in Kansas City, all pro in 1971, carried for almost 3,500 yards, 
uh, made the Pro Bowl one time, but he had a nice eight-year career with the Rams. Again, not sure if he'll be in our top ten, but uh, we're here to look at all these guys who wore number 33 way back when. Definitely. We want to preserve that history of the number 33 and talk about all the substantial players. And I think we did a pretty nice job of that. Okay. So let's, let's review. We've already given five spots in our top 10 and that's uh, mostly our hall of famers. You know, we've gave it to Nitschke, Dorsett, Baugh, Matson, And then one that's not in the hall of fame yet, Roger Craig is our, our five names that are on our list. And yes. some, some folks that we said, we come back and look at, uh, Mike Mahalski, who's a Hall of Famer, uh, Peanut Tillman, Ronnie Harmon, Reggie Rucker, uh, Kevin Falk, uh, W.K. Hicks, we just talked about, Larry Morris, we just mentioned, and uh, Nick uh, Petrosante, or I probably messed his name up. You say it much better <laughs> than I do. And I think that's all of our names, unless I notice somebody I missed that we No, I think you got them. Yeah. So we need to pick five from those, those gentlemen and anybody else that uh, maybe we've forgotten about, which I can't see any here. I think, I think I would uh, maybe push Larry Morris, the defender uh, on that list. Okay. I agree with that. He, he was the MVP of what was then the Super Bowl before it was the Super Bowl and had a nice long steady career. So I would, uh, I would, I would like to go with him. Okay. He has got our sixth spot. And I, what do you I think, think about Peanut Peanut Tillman? I was just going to say that I think Peanut <laughs> Tillman ought to be on there because he uh, he definitely was an impactful player when he played. Uh, quarterbacks, I don't think wanted to throw his way in, uh, when they were tossing the ball around because he made him pay for it. So I think he gets our seventh spot. Now it's going to get a little rougher here. We have lots of choices. Uh, who's your recommendation? Uh but you made a compelling case for. Uh, Nick Petrosante. I mean, I, uh, I think he's an interesting one to, to think about. Um, oh, I think, uh, well, Reggie Rucker, I think you got to think about too, because he had a pretty good yeah. career. Mm-hmm. Matter, matter of fact, I think Reggie Rucker maybe ought to be on that list. If, if you're in agreement with that. Yeah, that sounds good. Okay. So that gives us eight. And. I guess when we're coming down to it's getting this close, maybe you almost got to lean on that, uh, having that bronze bust in Canton for Mike Mahalski. Maybe he ought to. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So there's our ninth. And uh, let's see our names left. Or we've got Harmon, Falk, Hicks, and uh, Petrosante. Petrosante would be good for wearing the number. He most likely will never make the Pro Football Hall of Fame, but. Uh, we throw his name on there if we like, and there's others. We can All right. Consider. Well, we'll, we'll give him that honor here. He didn't uh, make it in Canton, but he'll make it here on the pigskin dispatch, uh, football by numbers, <laughs> greatest number 33s. And after 10. all, which is more important? Well, this is that's, tonight. That's what I said. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> well, Joe, that was a, a great job. Uh, really dug in some, uh, folks that uh, maybe a lot of us haven't heard of before and got to hear a little bit about their history, some stories, uh, even guys like Nitschke that we do know a lot about, you know, I didn't know that about him naming his dog after Dick Buckus. I think that's extremely <laughs> interesting. Great story there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're, you always have those great little tidbits you bring out and uh, you do that 
quite often on your podcast when football is football. And I know you mentioned you have Ollie Matson uh, out right now. Uh, what are you working on for the future without spoiling anything? What can we look forward to? Well, the next episode after Ollie Matson is going to focus on three unique players from the early years of the Chicago Bears. And we're going to mention names that they come across like Machine Gun Jack McGurn, El Capone, Illegal Boxing. Um, <laughs> lots of fun stories by these three people. In fact, we have the most accurate quarterback or halfback, the most accurate passer in Bears history, according to people, who had a most unusual passing style and never really got in the game. So these are little stories we enjoy sharing, but We'll do that. And then as we move closer to the uh, NFL draft at the end of this month, we're going to have a special on the very first draft and why the very first draft choice. And most of the other draftees never played a minute in the NFL. So, again, trying to go a little deeper and see what those reasons were. So we're looking forward to those. Hope you can join those. Join us for that. Oh yeah, I'm sure all our listeners will. I know I'll be tuned in here as soon as that uh, podcast drops. You know, one way to do it is to subscribe to the podcast, or or I guess it's not subscribe anymore. It's follow on the podcast providers. Or you know, just keep back checking. I think you come out every other Tuesday on Sports History Network, or is it Monday? Yes, yeah, every other Monday actually. Every other Monday. Okay, mm-hmm. so you make sure you check that on SportsHistoryNetwork.com uh, if you don't do it on your podcast uh, provider and. Uh, you know, Arnie Chapman will be sure to share that with us. To, we can listen right from the, the website. So, Joe, uh, once again, we appreciate you coming on, spending your time. And I know we've got a lot more numbers to talk with you about, and we're looking forward to those as well. And I uh, appreciate your time. Oh, thank you, Darren. And, and I really enjoy it. And again, I apologize if I'm rambling, but we get some fun stuff about these early NFL guys and can't wait to talk with you about them. So thank you very much. All right. Thanks, Joe. Peeking up at the clock, the time's running down. We're going to go into victory formation, take a knee, and let this baby run out. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you back tomorrow for the next podcast. We invite you to check out our website, pigskindispatch.com, not only to see the daily football history, but to experience positive football with our many articles on the good people of the game, as well as our own football comic strip, Cleet Marks Comics. Pigskindispatch.com is also on social media outlets, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and don't forget the Pigskin Dispatch YouTube channel to get all of your positive football news and history. Special thanks to the talents of Mike and Gene Monroe, as well as Jason Neff for letting us use their music during our podcast. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. offices of the Pittsburgh Guardian newspaper circa 1924. But for Marla Delft, assistant editor, everything was about to change. For she was about to discover the awesome attractiveness of Row 1 brand retro sports paraphernalia items thanks to Orville Mulligan, sports writer. And there it is. Wow, Orville, that's really the bee's knees. Isn't it just? A poster-sized replica of the actual 1909 World Series program cover. I can see that. But where did you get it? And where'd you get it framed? I ordered it from the Row 1 website, where over 6,000 items of sports memorabilia from the 1880s to the 1990s are available for reproduction in multiple sizes and in several different materials, 
with over a dozen styles of frame to choose from for prints like this. Well, I'm sure Mr. Delft would love to put up more of these in the office. But I'm equally as sure they're beyond this newspaper's budget. <laughs> Not at all, my dear Marla. See for yourself. Go to sportshistorynetwork.com slash row one. Sportshistorynetwork.com slash row one. Oh my, these are good prices. Oh, and look at this stuff. Oklahoma, Nebraska football. College basketball art. Michael Jordan items. And so Retro it was that Marla Delft discovered the spondiferous magic of Row 1 Sports Memorabilia Arts and Prints. You can, too, by visiting sportshistorynetwork.com slash row1. That's R-O-W number one today for access to the full Row 1 catalog of gallery prints and gifts like t-shirts, long-sleeve shirts, telephone cases, coffee mugs, blankets, pillows, towels, and even shower curtains. Act A for a 15% discount off all prints with coupon code SHN15 and 20% off all other items with coupon code SHN20 at checkout. And keep your dial locked to the Sports History Network for the exciting chronicles of the 1920 sports world in Orville Mulligan, Sports Writer. Coming soon. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Each week, the official Football Learning Academy podcast will take you deep into the history of pro football through interviews with players, coaches, or administrators in the NFL, as well as interviews with Pro Football Hall of Fame selectors, authors, and historians. You'll learn how the game evolved and important moments that shaped the sport into what it is today. And don't miss the Pro Football History Nugget of the Week. Listen to the official Football Learning Academy podcast on the Sports History Network. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast. <laughs>